Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Basketball pulled and Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. Welcome to your Monday edition of Fantasy Baseball Today, everybody. It's March, baseball month. We're excited. We got a lot to talk about, including some spring training standouts for you. Chris Davis, is he a thing again? Uh, welcome <laughs> to the show. So Adam Azer with Scott White and Chris Towers here, and we have to finish up starting pitcher. we got to go through our favorite starting pitchers after the top 50, but also, if you missed the position previews, we'll recap everything. We'll give you a quick overview of how we feel at each position. What's up, guys? Scott White, happy Monday to you. Adam, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. Hey. Chris and I are stressed right now. We are doing a live fantasy football startup dynasty draft. And that yeah. is that like I could do a regular draft, but when I start thinking about youth, Chris, this is difficult. This is a difficult chore. Well, and the draft room doesn't work right now in the off season at this point. Uh, so that's just adding right. So many complications <laughs> to the whole process. It's, it's really fun. All right. Really enjoy. Well, we're, we're through two rounds, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, if Chris and I don't respond to Scott for like 40 seconds at a time, you know why. Now, I don't know if the injury news and notes segment is going to be great today. It might be better tomorrow. Tomorrow we plan on having a points league mock draft on the show, on the air. But Aaron Judge, Scott, he's got shoulder, pectoral, weird issues. going to have another MRI today on Monday. We don't know the results if he's already had it. He probably has. We don't know the results yet. But when... If you're drafting today on March 2nd, when would you draft Aaron Judge? Uh, I don't really think I'm inclined to lower him that much right now. Aaron Boone said just yesterday he's he's not worried. It's a long-term issue. And, uh, I mean, it helps that I'm not somebody who's going to draft Aaron Judge anyway. But I, I would take him at a discount. Like, well, I was thinking... I'm getting a little nervous. Uh, I was thinking like round five in a 12-team league, like a 50th overall, something like that. That's that... probably where I'd start thinking about it. Well, yeah. He goes on average, what, like round four? No, three? early um, round three. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's that's probably about the point where, uh, regardless of this injury, if I see Aaron Judge is still there, I'm like, eh, then maybe I need to take him this draft. <laughs> you just don't like Aaron Judge. Okay, so Chris, how about you? When When would you be like, it's Judge time? Uh, probably round four, but you know, I'm, I'm a little less aware of the injury than, uh, than most people are. Okay. And we'll see. Hopefully we'll get some updated information, be able to talk to you about it tomorrow. Cody Bellinger left with side discomfort. Do we know anything about this? He's scratched. I haven't, yeah, I haven't seen anything yet. Uh, he was scratched from today's lineup is what I know. 
Chuck Peterson is expected to be ready for opening day, whatever. Blake Snell, maybe mm. not. I don't know how you can't be a little concerned about Blake Snell. He's already got a little bit of an elbow issue. Now, remember, I said on the show on Friday, I don't remember who we were talking about, uh, but I made the Clayton Kershaw comparison. Like Kershaw was injured in spring training of 2019 and didn't make his debut until April 15th. Of course, in spring training, yeah. I was probably freaking out about Clayton Kershaw. And he oh, everybody up, was. Yeah, he had a great season. He was the number 10 starting pitcher, did not go on the I.L. The so, difference is Snell, yeah. that was a back issue. And Blake Snell, it's an elbow. And more concerningly, it's an elbow injury that he dealt with last season and had uh, surgery on it, I believe, in July. And that was just... Um, I believe that was just a surgery to clean up loose bodies. Yeah. It wasn't like a ligament issue, but right. the fact is he's a starting pitcher who hasn't shown he can pitch more than 180 innings in a season, dealt with elbow injuries last year, and is now dealing with elbow injuries. If you're telling me the players we need to be concerned about with injuries, that is the profile I'm much more likely to be concerned about than Aaron Judge or even Giancarlo Stanton. I'm I'm actually not concerned about this because the cortisone shot is not where the ligament is. It's on the back of the elbow. And considering Freddie Freeman is going through the same thing with his cleanup procedure in his elbow, I assume it's just another scar tissue thing and not I'm I'm not that concerned about it. It doesn't sound like ligament stuff. Okay, but I I do wonder because remember, I'll try to get the official stat up, but just doesn't pitch deep into games anymore. And they right. kind of treat well, him with he kid. never really did. Well, I think he sort of did in his Cy Young season 2018 but before the was, elbow injury. That was only because he was pitching so efficiently and had such good luck on balls in play. Um, you know, you remember he had a sub two ERA and, you know, and a, a crazy low Babbitt, but he really wasn't like throwing a lot of pitches. Um, he was still maxing out at like a hundred pitches most of the time and. If he didn't have that same efficiency, he wouldn't have been able to go as deep into games. So he has made 31 starts. Blake Snell, 31 starts between his 2018 IL stint and the elbow surgery he had in 2019. I know I gave this stat out, but I doubt if anybody remembers it exactly. In those 31 starts, six or more innings in 16 of them, half of his starts, six or more innings, seven or more innings twice. 100 pitches in 10 of those starts, and only once did he throw more than 105 pitches. So, I mean, it, he, you're lucky that he is so efficient. Uh, he is he is that good on a pitch-by-pitch -pitch basis, I guess. But. This is the Rays pitcher we should be downgrading for workload concerns. And and I really like Blake Snell, and I, I want to draft him a lot this year, but there are more reasons to be concerned about him than Charlie Morton. Well, who would you rather have, Blake Snell or Charlie Morton? In a vacuum, Blake Snell at their current cost, Charlie Morton. Scott, you agree? I have Morton ranked higher, so Morton. Oh, okay. All right, more news items. So here's a quote from Ron Renneke, who's the manager for the Red Sox, about Chris Sale. So with Chris, it's just building up to where we feel comfortable with him, uh, in him and getting him through the year, keeping him strong, hopefully September and hopefully into October. Not the first time we've heard something like this about kind of maintenance on Chris Sale. Does this mean anything to you, this quote from Renneke? Chris Sale has health concerns, right? But this, 
the current one is related to pneumonia and him losing late and him being on a, a his his timetable for getting ready for the season being pushed back two weeks. Uh, Ron Rennick, he said he wanted every starting pitcher to make six starts to be ready for the season. Sale's only going to have time for four, so I think he's going to miss two turns, and that's it. Freddie Freeman uh, is not concerned about his elbow. Should be swinging soon. Any downgrades on Freeman or still a surefire first-round pick? Should be playing this week. Still a surefire. Well, I mean, he, he falls to round two sometimes, but yeah, it's not not because of injury concerns. Right. Seattle first baseman Evan White has groin soreness. He's not someone we're super interested in from a fantasy perspective, right, Evan White? No, but it's interesting. Scott wrote about this in one of his spring training notes, I think, right, about Evan White? Yes. Uh, yes. And how, you know, he's never really hit for much power. The The Mariners gave him this, you know, record contract for a player who's never been above double A. And the Mariners' internal metrics show that he actually has like elite uh, batted ball exit velocity. And so, you know, it could be a case of someone who gets to the majors and the power blooms with a few adjustments. All right, Evan White, we'll keep an eye on him. So Andrew McCutcheon is not going to be ready for the start of the season. He's recovering from ACL surgery. He'll start the year on the IL. Brent Honeywell, Tampa Bay starting pitcher. He threw a bullpen session. Maybe that's a name we will talk about more later in the season. Is there... What's Honeywell's timetable? Yeah, don't, don't forget about him. Yeah, right. Top prospect. Tommy John, right? Tommy and John fractured and... fractured his elbow. Yeah, fractured his elbow in like his first bullpen session after coming back from Tommy John surgery or something. All right. Mike Leake may not be ready for opening day. He's in the Arizona possible rotation, but uh, he might not make it to uh, to the rotation for opening day. Dave Roberts said something about Kenley Jansen. He said, quote, as good right now as when he was at his best last season. So a good start to spring yeah. training for Kenley. He went he went to driveline baseball this off, off season, which is that uh, research institute in Seattle where a lot of pitchers who've, who've uh, done their workout program have seen an increase in velocity. So they're also good at breaking down mechanics and getting pitchers back on track there. And Kenley Jansen, he was... Uh, his his uh, his cutter, which is really his fastball, it's his primary pitch, was back to like 92, 94 when it had been down a little the past couple of years. It's already back up at that level at the start of spring training. So that's excellent. That, that could that could reverse the the decline for him. All right, all right. So he's having a good start to spring. We'll give you a few more in a little bit. Masahiro Tanaka and Zach Eflin said that the baseball feels different. And now the spring training baseball apparently felt different than the regular season baseball last year. But is this something we sh we're monitoring, basically, what people are saying about the ball? I don't think there's anything we can monitor before the season. I don't think we're going to know. We'll know like five days into the season. Uh, that just won't help us much. Because part of the issue is you're going to need a decent sample size of batted balls to really be able to tell. And that data shows up pretty quickly. If you remember last postseason, you know, people started talking about the baseball being different in the first round. Um, yes. So it's it's just there's not there aren't enough parks. I think there's only two in the spring, one in Arizona, one in Florida that have the TrackMan data available. And so I just don't think we're going to we're going to know anytime soon. We've also seen it change in season in 2016. Yeah. Most famously. And, and then, of course, last postseason, it seems like it did, too. So yeah. it's if if. If MLB, what MLB is using to explain it, or at least the majority of it, which is 
manufacturing variability affecting the seam height, then like that's gonna that's gonna vary from batch to batch, you know. <laughs> like it's it's kind of it's kind of wild that something so uh, minuscule and uncontrollable can have that big of an impact on the way the game is played. But you know, we've seen throughout the history of baseball huge swings and when offense is peaking and and not, and maybe that explains all of it. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> baseball is pretty important, apparently. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's feeling better. We didn't talk about this, but some players who might be interesting if Stanton and Judge both start the season on the IL. Miguel Andujar has been playing left field. Clint Frazier's having a good spring as well. Mike Talkman not as exciting as those two guys. Griffin Canning yep. likely to start the season on the IL. Sorry, Scott. Nick Senzel dealing with a shoulder injury in Victor Robles' day-to-day. Make sure you join our Facebook group. It's awesome. It's really fun. Fantasy Baseball Today. Search for that or go to facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today. And if you wouldn't be uh, too troubled to leave us a kind review in Apple Podcasts or iTunes, as it used to be called, or anywhere you listen, that would be super awesome and super helpful. So let's talk pitchers here. This is our email of the day. And it comes... This is actually an email I got last year. And Josh has continued to follow up on it. He drafted no starting pitchers, and he emailed me last year after he drafted no starting pitchers in a 5x5 12-team league. And I kept, uh, I said, well, you know, I'm kind of skeptical. Let me know how you're doing. And he would update me. Josh would keep updating me on his zero SP roster, basically, or at least on the draft. And he was always in first or second place, whatever. He won his league. So... Josh wants me to promote his zero SP, not his like, not even zero, like zero RB is when you wait a little while to draft RBs. This is don't draft any starting pitchers in a five by five league. So his team from last year, I mean, he, he crushed it. Grandal, Bellinger, Mondesi, uh, Justin Turner, Francisco Lindor, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Joey Gallo, Yonder Alonso. So he obviously drafted well. Um, he had Jose Leclerc, Kirby Yates, Felipe Vasquez, Pedro Strope, Brandon Morrow, Keone Kella, and Stammen as his relievers when he drafted. But without, you know, the point is, and I kind of like it, this is an alternative way to play fantasy baseball in a 5x5 five five league. I did sort of a hybrid version of that where I didn't draft, I drafted, uh, SPs with my first two picks and then basically neglected that position. But this is just a complete, not going to draft any starting pitchers. I've heard about other people who have done this and succeeded. And what do you guys think? It's it's known as the Marmol strategy. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who came up with that. I, I, I'm trying to look for it now. I wanted to give credit, but it, it's been around for a while. And it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a perfect strategy, but it can work. You just you can't miss on hitting is the biggest thing. Like it, you're, cause you're basically like, you're not going to pay up for the elite closers. I think is the way you do it. I think you pretty much want to go hitting, hitting, hitting. And then the late rounds, it's more like mid tier closers, elite non closers. Um, it, it's a thin, it's a very narrow needle to try to thread. And but I think it's possible. A lot of these have like uh, a lot of this type of format have rules that 
make this impossible. Like he doesn't yes. have a single starting pitcher on his roster, right? Like usually there's Correct. like innings minimums and, and that sort of thing, or else you don't get any pitching points, whether it's week to week when innings minimums are are year long. Um so that would be something to check too. But yeah, I mean it's 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 certainly been done. I th- I feel like it's probably harder to do in this environment because there is less differentiation between hitters and so to guarantee yourself that advantage in the hitting categories is is more difficult. But uh it's it's possible and um Yeah, look, I mean if you play if you play it also kind of depends on how good your competition is too, right? Which if 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 you're more if you're confident in yourself to pick out like all the great trendy pitchers uh because you don't think anybody else is plugged in enough or that many people are in your league to know that then then you might be that that would be another time to try it as well yeah i guess i just wonder how heavy do you have to go within this strategy to win era whip and saves like can't you have some starting pitchers Make yourself a little bit more competitive and yeah, I mean, there's, and wins. there's certainly could go halfway if you need a couple starting pitchers, but right. then you're obviously going to have to. I think you're going to have to spend a couple early round picks on pitchers to get the kind of pitchers who you can be confident aren't going to drag down the ERA and WHIP that you're relying on those relief pitchers who throw far fewer innings to to uh, to pull yeah. through on. You know what the issue I had with with the strategy when I used it in that roto draft a couple weeks ago was I just didn't like that many relief pitchers and that many yeah. closers. You know, like how many of them are going to give me elite ratios? I had I had Josh Hader, but I think there's a scenario where he's an amazing pitcher but doesn't get that many saves. Uh and then I had Taylor Rogers who I really like. But the relief, in terms of like great closers, with with elite ratios and and hundred strikeouts, I don't know how many there are of those. I don't know how many I feel confident in. It's probably like less than ten. Yeah, so, it's not many. You're yeah. Right. So and, you got to get and, some middle relievers in there that have elite ratios. I didn't draft any of them, but we didn't have any bench spots, or I probably would have. But just right. keep that in mind. And you probably have to pay for the ones that are. You don't have to pay as much as you would for a high-end starting pitcher, but it's not like right, exactly. Uh, you, there are too many of those guys available late, late, uh, particularly in a league where anybody else is employing this strategy too. You know, yeah. And then there's a lot of volatility among relief pitchers. There's even more than among starting pitchers. And Chris talks about this a lot because there's never. You know, playing it year to year, there's no relief pitcher who really has a good sample of innings to to give to to make you feel confident that's exactly who he is. Right. And so you might you might end up burning through a few relievers before you settle on one that or, or settle on a group that you can really depend on. And then even if you do, like, one of them could suddenly bottom out, and then so you kind of just chase relievers all year. All right, guys, so let's get into the starting pitcher leftovers. We picked up, or we left off with the top 50 starting pitchers in average draft position. The last group we talked about was Matt Boyd, Sean Manaya, Julio Arias, Armand Marquez, and Carlos Martinez. After that, we've got Kenta Maeda, who's RP eligible, Lance McCullers, Jake Odorizzi, who had an uptick in velocity last year and he pitched very well, Masahiro Tanaka, 
And if he's talking about the ball being different, that's big news because he could not throw his splitter last year. He didn't. I think he had issues with the seams. Uh, Luke Weaver, I smitten right now. So so Maeda, McCullers, Odorizzi, Tanaka, and we Luke Weaver. Uh, Chris doesn't really want us to sing. I think that he doesn't really believe in Weaver like I do. Is that right? I don't. I don't believe in Luke Weaver. Not like you were like. Well, who did you say we should be singing about other than Luke Weaver? Uh, there was another stupid song you wanted us to sing about a sleeper. There's the terrible Zach Granke one, oh, but I, I oh, can't, I can't remember who the other one was. I'm uh, sure there was one. Well, what do you make of this group of five? Uh, Maeda McCullers, Odorizzi, Tanaka Weaver. I like them a lot. Uh, Odorizzi is probably the only one I won't draft, but this is definitely a group of players that I'm going to be choosing from. I think in the head-to-head auction that we did last Friday, I think I only got McCullers out of this group, but Weaver and uh, Maeda especially were definitely players who I was targeting, and I just couldn't get them. Scott, do you agree that Odorizzi is not someone you'll be drafting in this group? I, I have a hard time understanding what went so right for Odorizzi last year. Uh, he had the best numbers of this group last year. And he was throwing the ball harder. He was getting more strikeouts. The strikeouts increase was basically all on the fastball and the fact he was throwing it harder. And um, I don't know. I don't have any shares of him yet. I He would probably have to fall beyond this point. I Usually by this point, I have the bulk of my pitching staff already assembled. So that's part of the reason why I never have to resort to an Odorizzi. But I yeah. would... I would prefer Weaver of this group just because of the upside. Uh, he was he was kind of like uh, Frankie Montas, although only about half the time, half as long as Frankie Montas. He was looking like he had taken that ace turn, and, and then he got hurt and missed a lot of. He the was season. hurt. That's yeah. the difference between him and Frankie Montas. Uh, yeah, that's that doesn't help either. Yeah. Um. No, and, and Weaver, like, if you look at his ERA in four seasons. 570, 388, 495, 294. But in his first two seasons, he had a really good ERA, and then he just got crushed in like his last two or three appearances. So I think he's pitched a lot better than his numbers. Now, 2018 was just bad for him, but he bounced back nicely, and I think he's going to be, I think he's, I, I think he's a must draft guy, you know, and he's a top 60 pitcher. But yeah. I don't know. It just feels like more than that to me. It just feels like he's got really a chance to be a must start. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. He does. There's, there are a lot of questions with him. But um, what did he make? Eight starts last year. He. It looked like he was on his way to answering those questions, but yeah. it wasn't enough of a sample to say for sure that they were answered. And then now he's recovering from an injury, so we don't really know how that's going to impact him. But. Yeah, I think there's a lot of upside here. I'll add to switching gears a little. Tanaka might be the player single most impacted by what what the what the what the, the balls are like. Yeah, right. We talk about it with hitters a lot, but Tanaka might be the single most affected player because he just didn't have a splitter last year. He could not get the right grip on the ball with the seams being lowered. And he was pretty much useless in fantasy because of that. And I don't think the ceiling is crazy high for him. I, I don't think the ceiling is as high as it is for Weaver or even like McCullers. But he was certainly a 
usable starting pitcher in fantasy prior to last year and could end up being a good value this year if the ball is back. Yeah, the only thing I would point out is it's been a while since he was really very good. He was pretty good in 2018. Uh, He was pretty bad in 2017. So he's been bad in two out of the last three years. So moving on to the next group of five here in average draft position. Chris just made a pick in the in the dynasty draft. Good job, Chris. Uh, Marcus Stroman, Mike, uh, Mike Fultonevich, Andrew Heaney, Caleb Smith, and Joe Musgrove. Stroman, Fulte, Heaney, Caleb Smith, and Joe Musgrove. Scott, you like anyone there? Not especially. Feels uh, like a Fulton. pretty big drop from the previous group, doesn't it? Mm. I don't know. It's they're they're all similar. Like they they could be good, but they probably won't be. That's how I would classify all of them, <laughs> or most of them anyway. Fultonevich was after a stint in the minors, he came back looking much stronger. It seemed like his slider was more or less back to form. Remember, he had a lot of elbow troubles last year. He was awesome. Spring. He had a two sixty five ERA after being recalled with a strikeout yeah. per inning intense, a little bit less than a strikeout per inning intense starts. He was really really good. But remember. Prior to last spring, prior to the elbow trouble and, and how it affected him mechanically, like he was a trendy bust pick because it, it wasn't it didn't look like the underlying numbers backed up how he performed in 2018. And that was still the case when he was performing well down the stretch last year. So there's still plenty of reason for skepticism there. Uh, Andrew Heaney's his strikeout rate keeps going up and up, but he doesn't seem to perform any better overall. He's such a, he's such a weird pitcher. Yeah. Because he, he throws mostly sinkers with his fastball, uh, or two-seam fastballs, I guess, um, because they're not sinking. He throws them up in the zone, and he gets a lot of whiffs with it. it it's, it's such a strange profile, and the fact that it's so unlike how nearly every other pitcher succeeds that it's hard to say for sure whether he's going to figure out. I do like him quite a bit as a late-round sleeper target. Yeah. Heaney had a 14.1% swinging strike rate, and that's Mm -hmm. really, really good. And unlike unlike, uh, Nick Pavetta, he's not going in the 13th round, you know? You don't have to jump and reach for Andrew Heaney. Was Uh, was Joe Musgrove part of this Yeah, he was. I love Joe Musgrove. I wrote my... uh, Wow. I wrote my, my ode to the Pirates starting pitching staff earlier today it's up on cbssports.com and i think this could be one of the most valuable groups in the league especially given the fact that i believe musgrove is the highest drafted of them as starter 62 212 overall um his velocity has been up in the spring it was up over his last five starts last year and over those last five starts now it's only five starts but the results were really really good He's got a deep and varied arsenal. And the difference between Joe Musgrove throwing 91 miles an hour and Joe Musgrove throwing 94 miles an hour could be significant. And the Pirates starting pitching staff should be better because they got rid of Ray Searage and his throw fastballs at the knees all the time, no matter what approach. And they've got a more analytically inclined pitching coach in Oscar Marin, who... Just from everything that he's talked about, from everything that the pitchers have talked about, uh, it sounds like it's going to be a really good fit. Hmm. 
Interested Well, how the mighty have fallen. Ray Sears used to be the darling of fantasy baseball. Out with the old, yeah. in with the new. Uh, yeah, but that was group? just because, like, he turned Yvonne Nova into a good pitcher. You know? No, like, not just was... him. He, he, yeah, had a, he had a good track record with a bunch of pitchers who had burned out elsewhere. But it was yeah. it's just kind of an outdated yeah. model like they, he was using. They've thrown the most fastballs in the league throughout the last four seasons as a pitching staff. Uh, they were second in the fourth year. And what we've seen with both Tyler Glass now and Garrett Cole was they got away from the Pirates. They started throwing uh, their fastballs up in the zone, but throwing their fastballs a little less often and just mixing up their pitches more. It's something that pretty much everybody on the Pirates has talked about. Uh, and I, I think it could lead to, you know, this is a very talented pitching staff. So I think they could finally start to live up to their potential. All right. Chris is about to be attacked by his cat in the background. That's pretty fun. I wish we were doing this on video. Let's get back to it. Uh, let's get a few more here, guys, and then we'll finish up here. Just tell me who you're interested in drafting. Miles Michaelis, Dallas Keuchel, Joey Lucchese, Dustin May, and A.J. Puck. Puck? Uh-huh. May right. doesn't seem to have a rotation spot. No, but he'll get his chance at some point this year, and he gets drafted in every league I've been a part of, so I think... Yeah it seems like people are willing to stash him for that opportunity. Uh, Puck and May are the lottery tickets here. And Keiko and Stroman are probably better in points leagues. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have high-ish whips, but they're going to, per st- on a per-start basis, their innings will be high. Keiko's had some durability issues over the years, but he, he goes deep when he's healthy. And that's that's what matters more to me, is the impact when they're actually in your lineup. Uh, but, but yeah, for Roto, they're, they're probably going to pull down your whip, especially if you're looking to have a good pitching staff and not just a survivable pitching staff. And not going to really help your strikeouts either, especially Keiko. Yeah. I mean, Stroman, well, it's, Stroman could be okay just because of how DP pitches into games. It's not a good K per nine, but the total should be respectable. Okay, moving on. We've got Jose Urquidy, Ryan Yarbrough, John Gray, Dakota Hudson, and Cole Hamels. Urquidy, Yarbrough, John Gray, Dakota Hudson, Cole Hamels. Urquidy is an upside pick. He should have that fourth spot for the Astros pretty much locked down. There is another Astros pitcher I'm even more excited to draft who is competing for the fifth spot, but Urquidy has a really good... uh, Josh James? Yeah, Josh James. Yeah, Chris's sleeper yesterday. Uh, yeah, Friday I'm show. I'm totally on board with that. Uh, Arkady has a really good changeup, and uh, he's he's had work. He's had trouble developing that third pitch. Uh, but you look at his numbers from the minors last year, and there's a lot of strikeouts there. And he looks solid. I mean, he's definitely uh, a little rough around the edges, but it, he looked like he could be a viable option during the little bit he pitched in the majors last year. And Ryan Yarbrough, is it weird to say that he's a better roto pitcher than a head-to-head pitcher? Because he is SPARP eligible, but he basically never gets quality starts because of the opener, right? I guess they didn't. They started using the opener less with him later on in the season. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. totally. But But we figured out that you're more likely to get a win you're not yeah. gonna get, you can't That's get a quality start, but you can get a win. 
He's gotten that's a lot of wins he's, the past two years. That's why I think he's better for Roto than head-to-head, because in head-to-head, the win matters, but you also can get the quality start bonus. If he's not going to get that, um, you'd rather just have the guy getting wins in a Roto league. Yeah. So, all right, we're making our way down the draft board here. We've got some, we got some more got good names, good though. He's got a pretty good slider now, actually. I, I just wanted to correct myself on that. It Nicole, looks like he has the three pitches he needs. And, um, who? yeah, I think the biggest concern about? with him, Urquidy. Urquidy. I think the biggest concerns with him are workload and just how how willing are the Astros to stick with him, given that they have a lot of these kind of fringy rotation guys, if, mm-hmm. if he struggles. I think those would probably be the biggest concerns with Urquidy. And I just... I think we got a lot of interesting sleepers here. I, I still like Cole Hamels. Now the whip's going to be high with him, but he was good before his injury last year, and he was good after he got traded away from Texas in 2018. So uh, I still think he's got a little bit left, and he's the 70th, about 70th pitcher off the board, 270th overall pick. Michael Kopech, Yanni Chirinos, Mike Fires, Aaron Savali, Marco Gonzalez. Well, Kopech feels like the standout there. Yes. Um... I'm not sure if he's going to be in the rotation to start the season. There's another White Sox uh, prospect-ish pitcher in Dylan Cease, who I think I like a little more. But, yeah, Kopech has huge potential. It's just this is his first season back from Tommy John surgery. So there's going to be limitations. There's going to be uh, probably some bumps in the road to to keep in mind. But, yeah, when he gets on, I think he could be very, very valuable. And we've got... We've got Mitch Keller, who I know we like, yeah. Adrian Hauser, um, John Lester, Ross Stripling, Jay Happ, who, you know, is pretty pretty okay down the stretch. Rick Porcello, I'm somewhat interested in him on the, in the National League now. Uh, I don't know if there's anyone else. Chris Bass. But I know we like Hauser and Keller. Who do we like more, Keller or Hauser? Keller. Uh, Scott probably likes Hauser more. He He left today's start with a thumb injury. It doesn't sound like it's serious, but just wanted to note that. I'm there. Yeah, I do Hauser. like Hauser more. Keller has the higher ceiling. They're they're both in my sleepers column. So, I uh, yeah, I'll, I'll probably have more shells of how shares of Hauser, but I I like them both in this range. Keller is kind of the star of the Pirates column that I wrote today. Um, his fastball was awful last year, but there's no reason it should be. Like he averaged 95.4 miles per hour with it. It was in the 91st percentile in spin. It has all the makings of an elite pitch, and by the Aces metric, he was, uh, I think, a top 20 pitcher. Now, the results were not great, but the slider and curveball already look like absolute elite swing and miss pitches. If the fastball performs better, and he's talked about being less predictable with the fastball, using the fastball less, um, which is in line with the, the changes that the Pirates staff as a whole are making that I like, I think he has, you know, top 20 starting pitcher potential. Keller was a top prospect, a top pitching prospect for several years, actually. And he only developed his best pitch last year. That slider Chris referred to. Mm-hmm. That didn't come till last year. It's his best swing in this pitch. And it he was a top prospect even before he had it. So let's finish up, guys. Just give me some names. I'm going to be taking a lot of Brendan McKay, assuming he's, the 90th pitcher off the board. Yep. And who else? Like Chris had mentioned Steven Matz in an episode several weeks ago. It sounds like he might not actually have a rotation spot, though. Uh, the Matz might 
swap him and Michael Walker. Okay. Which seems dumb, but it's not my decision to make, so whatever. Kind of swing minerals there. Domingo Armand and Michael Pineda are going to be suspended to start the year, but they're worthy of of picks if you can afford to stash them. And is there anyone else that we haven't talked about, Scott, that you really like? You said Pineda and and Herman both? Yeah. Pineda especially. He's due to come back in early May, and uh, he looks like... Before he he got suspended for PEDs, he was leaning on that changeup, that that a long elusive changeup, that third pitch to go with the fastball and slider. He was leaning on it more than ever, and was really having good success there down the stretch. So he's Pineda's somebody I'm trying to stash away in just about every league. Let's uh, not forget about Nathan Ovaldi, who was very good in 2018. Injuries kind of wrecked his 2019, but he could still be pretty good. Alex Wood, mm-hmm. who appears to have the fifth starter job already for the Dodgers. He spent a lot of time at driveline baseball like Kenley Jansen this offseason and is throwing his fastball uh, the hardest he's ever thrown it. The last time he threw his fastball the way he's throwing it right now was, I believe it was 2017 in the first half. And you look at his stats from that stretch. Uh, he was Cy Young, basically. He was incredible. Uh, let me find the numbers right now. It was 2017, the first half of 2017. Alex Wood, who, of course, is going to have all the advantages of every Dodgers pitcher, great supporting cast. He went 10-0 with a 167 ERA, .89 whip, and 10.8 K per nine. So that's exciting, right? Yeah, not bad. Dylan Bundy is somebody I would be excited to draft in this range. Change of scenery for a guy who, of course, was the best pros- pitching prospect in baseball at one point, still has that uh, great uh, kind of split changeup, right? That's what it is, kind of a hybrid pitch there where he gets mm-hmm. a lot of swings and misses on it. And I, I better pitching environment, uh, and I think just working with new people, he's having a good spring so far. Uh, this could be the year he takes off. Definitely a worthwhile gamble for a next-to-nothing cost. And to keep in with the theme of my appearance on this podcast today, Chris Archer, he got away from Never. throwing the sinker in the second half. What's that? Never. Ne- I, not for okay, me. so like, no, that's no, a at this that rate, a lot of people it's say, fine. and it's I will fine. just say, that is the worst approach you can have in fantasy sports. I'm just saying, joking. I will never... But no, but but that's the thing. is I, I, I think it's an interest, It's a valid point. There are people who will say... That guy burned me too many times. I will never trust him again. Throw that thinking out of the window. You cannot think that way. All you can do is take each pitcher and each player, look at what they are likely to do, what you expect them to do, and draft them based on that. Don't. And it's not like Chris Archer. He's had a little bit of injury trouble the last couple of seasons, but the bigger issue uh, was that he got away from what made him successful, which was throwing his four-seam fastball up in the zone, throwing his slider for whiffs. Uh, over the last 12 starts last season, he was at like 12 K per nine. He still had a 465 ERA, but the home run rate went down to 1.35 per nine, which is totally reasonable in this environment. And the FIP was 381. That's a pretty high home run rate, man. It's not though. The average right now is like 1.2. But that's the average of all pitchers, not the average of fantasy relevant pitchers. I, I, that's, that's a really high number for a guy that you're putting in your lineup. He's the 95th pitcher no, off the fine. board. That's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I, I get that. But 
but it is a pretty high home run rate. They, right, but, he, for Chris but he's also such an elite strikeout pitcher that you would expect him to be able to limit the number of base runners that he allows when those home runs hit. He's gonna, he's not going to be a three ERA guy, but if he can be three seven, three eight, that'd be nice. With when the number the of strikeouts he, he gets, uh, it's been four years, I think, for Chris Archer since he's been under four. So right, but that's that's what I'm saying. He made changes last year. Okay, uh, that's. That is the end of starting pitcher for now. No, it's not. No, it's not, oh. Adam. I still want to talk about more. Okay. There's there's a lot. There's okay. a lot of guys out there. So we mentioned Dustin May as a, uh, a, a draft and stash, hoping he breaks through later. I think there are a couple other pitchers that you should do that with. Nate Pearson, who's just looked oh unhittable this spring. The, go find the fat. I, I retweeted it last night. Go find the fastball he threw to Josh Bell to strike him out in yesterday's start. It was just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. That's of the Blue Jays, Nate Pearson. So obviously there's an easy in for him when they decide he's ready. Uh, and Mackenzie Gore, who at this yeah. these days is considered the best pitching prospect in baseball. And uh, he will probably be up midseason. I, it might depend somewhat on how the Padres as a team are performing, but there's a good chance he's up. Uh, a little lower down, I would also put Forrest Whitley in this group. Like I said, the Astros have a lot of alternatives, yep. and he's going to have to turn things around after a terrible year. But at this time a year ago, Forrest Whitley was considered the best pitching prospect. He had some mechanical issues going on. He looked better in his during his stint in the Arizona Fall League, so it's definitely too early to write him off. And if he has a good season, he's going to be right back on the path to earning a ticket into uh, into the big league rotation for for a contender, no less. Uh, they they may end up needing him come July or even sooner. And uh, yeah, let's not forget about Forrest Whitley. Are we done now? Jordan Montgomery, Justice Sheffield. Uh, who is the other guy? Dylan Cease. Man, these guys are so good. Kikuchi. Why do I even, why do I, oh yeah, you say Kikuchi. He's throwing really hard. Why do I even bother drafting starting pitchers early? They're all so good late. Exactly. I love these it. These are all low percentage plays, Adam. But Come on. some <laughs> number of these guys are going to be top 30 pitchers next year. Yeah. If That's you can just get how all, starting pitcher works. If you can roster 20 starting pitchers and you don't have to worry about any of these guys going to anybody else, you'll probably come away with a pretty good <laughs> pitching staff. <laughs> all right. So yeah. this uh, this segment took a lot longer than I thought. So I don't think we're going to have time for emails today. I think it's important, though, that we uh, and I listen, I, if we don't get to a lot of emails this week, I'll do a mailbag and I'll do an extra mailbag show before the weekend or I'll air on Saturday or yeah. something like that. If Chris and Scott don't even have to be on it, if they don't want to, I'll find a guest. But I will address your emails, I promise, because it's very important to me. Now, Tyler Bede. That, yes. Sleeper. Beady. 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 Yes. Beady eyes. Beady yeah, little eyes. The Giants. All right. Position preview recaps. I'm going to give you a position. You tell me your strategy on draft day for this position. Catcher, Chris. Um, If I can get Real Muto, Sanchez, Grandal, one of the big three, or... Four, I guess Contreras also. Uh, I'm fine with that. Otherwise, I'm I'm content waiting. Scott, yeah, it's a good time to wait at catcher if I get a great value on Mitch Garver or any of the other top five. But it's usually Mitch Garver, then I'll take it like around ten, eleven range. But otherwise, I'm I'm inclined to wait as well. Okay, and I I've never been more interested in drafting an elite catcher because they're just going 
so much later than we're used to seeing. Yeah. Now, I mean, last year, where Riamuto's going this year is somewhat similar to where Sanchez was going last year, 55th-ish overall. Um, but Sanchez going 76th overall feels to me like very exciting stuff. Uh, first base. Scott, what's, uh, what's your take on first base? So my take on first base is that, you know, if I, if I pick it, if I pick in the top five, obviously Cody Ballinger. If I pick at the end of round one or round two, uh, or at the beginning of round two, there's a chance I'll go after Freddie Freeman there. But otherwise, I don't see a huge difference between the guys who tend to fall at the position, Matt Olson sometimes, very often Josh Bell, and like a Pete Alonzo, or um, certainly like Anthony Rizzo at this point, who you can't count on a big home run total from. Like, I'm never going after that group. Yeah, points league, I like Rizzo. Roto league is hands-off sure. for me. Yeah, points points league is a different... Right. Rizzo's a different animal in a points league. But even there, I mean, it's not like Josh Bell is... is he has a good strikeout-to-walk ratio, too. Not as good as Rizzo. But you can... I still think the discount there makes it worth going after Bell instead, waiting for Bell instead, and, and grabbing more starting pitchers in the Rizzo range. Earlier I said Freddie Freeman's a first a surefire first round pick. Well, to me he he really is. If not first round, he's back end of the first round, early round two. Re- Freeman's ADP is seventeenth right now, and there's one hitter that goes in that range that I I might make the centerpiece of my drafts, and that's Jose Ramirez because I've just more or less accepted that I am buying into Jose Ramirez, and I think if he's as good as I think he is, he's a first round pick, maybe a top five pick. So like I love Jose Ramirez, but after that. Freeman, to me, if he's really the 17th pick, there just aren't going to be many hitters behind him that are even close to as good as Freddie Freeman. I think he's a great second-round pick, uh, you know, if you can get him. And, yeah, so so the group of Olsen, Abreu, Muncie, Bell, we sort of identified that as, like, a good value group at first base. And then if you want to wait a little bit longer, Scott, if you get shut out there, who are you looking at at first base? I think Trey Mancini is really undervalued, and he's kind of my ultimate fallback at this position. Uh, I guess my ultimate, ultimate fallback, because there have been drafts where I've missed out even on Mancini. Uh, so let me figure out who that would be. Probably like... Uh, Encarnacion for me. Who? And Edwin Encarnacion. 160th overall. Yeah, he goes late, and... I. Maybe it's unfair, but I just I just have a feeling this is going to be uh, yeah, the year. That's fine. It just collapses. I kind of felt that way about Nelson Cruz last year, and <laughs> yeah, I but 160th overall. I mean, okay, he doesn't work out. Yeah. You drop him. You pick up Luke Voigt, Christian Walker, Ryan. McMahon. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, no, I get your point. It, in in drafts where Walker isn't drafted, like where that class of starting first baseman isn't drafted, but like in a 12 team roto league where you got those deeper lineups. They probably are, and that that's been my ultimate fallback option. Like if I miss out on Bell and I miss out on Trey Mancini, then I'm probably just ignoring the rest of the position and being the guy who takes the worst first baseman, and that first baseman is Christian Walker. So, Chris, let's go to second base. What are you thinking at second base? Um, I'm open to taking... Jose Altuve at his cost, he's probably the only one of the the big second baseman who I would, except for uh, Cattell Marte. 
I, I am willing to take Catal Marte as early as the end of the third round or early fourth round. Um, otherwise, you know, it, it's a, it's an interesting position and I'm, I'm fine waiting for, you know, a, a Kevin Biggio, a Tommy Edmond type. And we've sort of identified Glaber Torres as obviously we understand his, his youth and his potential, but mm-hmm. his ADP just doesn't really seem to make sense. It presumes it. It presumes he takes another step forward. And I, I don't think you can do that with an early pick like that. Not with what you're giving up in that range. And it's not like second base is, it is the shallowest of the infield position, but it's not like it's so shallow that you should reach there. There's, there's just not, there's no justification for that. Can you be the last person in your, in your league to draft a second baseman and feel okay with it? Probably not. Probably not. You probably have to be, the 10th person at the latest. It, it kind of, there's so many multi-eligible guys here. It kind of depends on how uh, how they get drafted. If they're all drafted as second baseman, you're probably good. But DJ LeMahieu might get drafted at first base. Max Muncy to play third base. Uh, Whit Merrifield in the outfield. Catel Marte in the outfield. We had a... Uh, we just did a head-to-head points auction on Friday. So smaller lineup sizes. And I ended up with four second base eligible players myself. Mm. And so that obviously made things interesting for the rest of the league. It wasn't by intention. It's just how it turned out. I had LeMahieu at first, uh, Max Muncy at third, Cattell Marte in my outfield. And then my actual second baseman was, I don't remember who it was, but it was, yeah, I had a lot of second basemen. Give me a late round sleeper. At second? Yeah. Garrett Hampson. Is that late enough? I That's feel late like enough. Two hundredth. Yeah, I rank him higher than that, especially in a roto league where you need those steals so badly. He should give you a good total of them, but his playing time is questionable, and uh, he'll play a decent amount. But will he play quite every day in a super utility role? I'm not sure about that. And we go to third base. Oh, the money position. Well, what's up, Chris? Luis Arias. I just want to say that. Oh, okay. Third base, Bregman, Arenado, Rendon, Jose Ramirez, Rafael Devers, all going in the top 24. Devers not going to be on my team if he's going 24th overall. That is starting pitcher land right there. Um, and not, not going to be Devers for me. But it's obviously a great position. Chris, what's your third base strategy? I I don't think you need a strategy for third base. I think third base is one of the positions, and I, I think shortstop and outfield are also in this discussion where you just kind of take what the draft gives you. If if Bregman falls, like I've seen him in the 15 range, or Arenado falls, you take those guys. But otherwise, you definitely, this is the position, maybe more than any other, where you just don't need a, a strategy. There's so many good options. You can go... 20, 25 deep at the position before you run out of guys who you'd feel confident in as your starter. Is there any third baseman that you avoid? You're like, no, um, I'm not going to do it. I I wouldn't draft Rafael Devers at his cost, and I haven't drafted him all this year. And I, I don't think I've drafted Chris Bryant. I may have gotten him in one auction, um, but that was just because the price was right. Um, 
and then Machado at his price. So right. th- those right. three guys between fifth and seventh at the position in ADP, I just I, I'm not confident that they're going to be worth their price. And I know we like uh, Miguel Sano a lot as a mid round pick over yes. to shortstop. Shortstop is Lindor, Bregman, Story, Turner, Tatis, all going in the top twenty. With Lindor, Bregman, Story, and Turner in the top twelve, you certainly can take a shortstop with your first round pick. And I like Turner sixth overall. I don't want him to hit third though. But if he doesn't hit third and he's batting first or second, I like Turner sixth overall for the Steals. Me too. Me too. In Roto. Yeah, in Roto. In Roto. And in, in Roto. Points, points, I think league. he'll probably fall to the third round. And he's just so good in points leagues that people don't understand that. Yeah, he yeah, he farther. tends to get undervalued in points leagues. Most of the base dealers do because I think it's an overcorrection where, okay, they get overvalued in Roto. Like, clearly this base dealer isn't this valuable in a real-life context, but we're so desperate for steals, we have to take him too early. Uh, and then points leagues, maybe they get pushed down too far. And, Scott, do you have an overall shortstop uh, strategy? Uh, I tend to wind up with Marcus Simeon a lot. Usually, basically, this is my strategy at every position, right? Like, if... Depending on where I pick in round one or round two, I might grab the high-end player at that position. So if I pick sixth in a Roto League, I'll take Trey Turner as my shortstop. If I pick you know, seventh or eighth, I'll take Alex Bregman as my shortstop or third base, and we'll see where he winds up. If I pick at the end of round one, I might take Trevor Story. Or if he's there the early in round two, I might take him. But then beyond that, it's like it's like there's this 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 stretch from like round three to round six or five, where I'm only taking starting pitchers. So I never even <laughs> draft any of the players at any of those positions uh, that go in that range. And then where do I come back in? I come back in like the Marcus Simeon range of shortstops or like at second base, the DJ LeMahieu range of second baseman or at third base. Uh, you know, I might be looking at somebody like, uh, Eugenio Suarez or Max Muncy or somebody like that. So that that ends. That's that's generally how my drafts play out. And as someone who doesn't just draft starting pitchers exclusively, <laughs> uh, I'm looking at Adalberto Mondesi and I never get him. I feel like he does not. His ADP is 54. It, he doesn't last that long. He is a, like a mid round four pick in every draft I'm in. It seems. And uh, you know it's obvious why I want him. I know Chris likes Jonathan VR. Who is not? Is he? John Vr is not shortstop eligible in our leagues, is he? He is. Oh, he is. Okay. Yep. And he's going to get outfield eligibility. It seems like very early on in the season. Right. That's yeah. I mean, that helps maybe a little. Um. Okay. So that's shortstop for you. And just a quick name at sleeper shortstop. Who who do you got, Scott? Uh sleeper. Well, I, I want me to go. Past like Corey Seager range. Dan, uh, Dansby Swanson is your answer. I remember from the position. Preview. Yeah, yeah, Dansby Swanson. Or if you need steel specifically, John Birdie. Outfield. Car- Outfield. What do we got? Again, it just it's not a position where I think you have to have a strategy. The one thing that I would keep in mind that I found tripping me up uh, sometimes this season and really every season is. There are certain leagues where I just get too overzealous with outfield early on. 
and I find that I filled up my outfield, especially in a head-to-head points league, uh, by like the 100th overall pick, and I've got three really good outfielders, but then what you'll see a lot of the times in the next 10 rounds is just the best hitter left is often an outfielder, and that can kind of screw you up from a roster construction standpoint. Right. Don't fill it up too soon, and don't be afraid to grab one of those elite ones early and you know i i don't know that i want more than like two with my first five picks if i had three outfielders with my first five picks it would be an abject failure <laughs> well certainly in a three outfielder league that that puts you in a bind it it makes a big difference whether your league uses three or five we tend to talk in turn when we're talking about drafts and we're talking about these position previews we kind of talk in terms like this is your team for the year and of course that's not the way it goes, the, you're making ads and drops. Players that you expect to perform to perform well don't. Players you never saw coming emerge on the waiver wire, and you're you're making changes to your lineup throughout the season based on that. And outfield, outfield is one position where you know there are always going to be players emerging during the season. Now you go so deep in a five outfielder league that you can't depend on it as much in a three outfielder league. But in a three outfielder league, like. Only 40 or so outfielders get drafted, 45. Like, there are going to be plenty beyond that point who end up performing like high-end players that are just on nobody's team. And if you if you filled up your outfield with studs, you're not going to be able to take advantage of that. I think you probably know what I, what our uh, <laughs> starting pitcher strategy is. I silenced it today. I'm sorry. Every episode. Four, starting, four of Scott's top 37 starting pitchers. But, you know, when we do the mock draft tomorrow, I think you might get a better sense of how the starting pitchers uh, shape up. And then for relievers, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be like super aggressive with relievers in a roto league because I think I'm probably going to... It depends. If I have a more balanced roster where I have a normal amount of starting pitchers, I'll probably only invest early in like two closers, early to fairly early, and then just try to play the waiver wire to get my saves because it's a very volatile position. Uh, But I could also go that roto strategy where I... Basically, just try to win, save ZRA and WHIP. So that that's you know very format specific. In a points league, take advantage of the depth, take advantage of the sparps, get some sparps. Those are starting pitchers who are relief pitcher eligible. Carlos Carrasco, Jesus Cesardo, Kenta Maeda, Luis There's Arias. So many this year. So many. So do not like that. Would be so dumb to use too early picks on true closers in a points league. That is the way to lose your league. Um, but you know. I'm going to be pretty patient at closer, although I will say if I'm in a Roto League, I probably want at least one closer that I feel great about. Any final thoughts there? Yeah, just to give you a sense of what you can do at Relief Pitcher, uh, in the head-to-head Roto auction that we did on Friday, I think I ended up with Adrian Hauser and Julio Arias in my starting lineup, um, and that was with me basically waiting on starting pitcher longer than anyone. There's just so many good spark options that really in a points league, um, it, I just cannot justify paying up for saves it, or, or, or closer. I've never been able to justify it in a points league. That's, that's never something I've done. Like they just, the best ones don't really have that big of an advantage. Like it, it's really just whoever gets the most saves, right? Ends up being the most valuable one. So you're you're it's more job security you're pursuing, which is tied to how good the individual is, I guess. But like everybody's pretty vulnerable at 
relief pitcher, everybody who's holding that closer role. And even if you end up with one who doesn't last very long, there's usually a handful on the waiver wire just because every team only needs two of them. So if you're talking about league of standard size, 12 teams mixed, it's just it's never something you should pay up for in a points league. I don't love paying up for it in a roto league because even then it's like there are going to be saves options emerging on waiver wire throughout the year. But at least then some teams have three or maybe even four. And so there's a little bit more scarcity and there's they're in higher demand and all of that. Um, in a points league, that's just it's just not the case, particularly here where there's so many sparks. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will talk to you tomorrow with a live mock draft. Until then, I'm Adam for Scott and Chris. See ya. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework.